Welcome to Spiritful Wanderings. In this episode, we are having a conversation with Eric Bowers on compassion. That's a great question. I guess um, I I actually discovered compassionate communication, which is also known as nonviolent communication, in Nelson when I lived there years ago, and I I was kind of resistant to it at first. Actually, it seemed a little strange to me, but. Um, <laughs> There were about four or five people who I bumped into over two weeks who, who kept telling me about this nonviolent communication. And, and so I decided to check out the book. And once I started reading the book, I really got the, the message and, the, and the, uh, the consciousness of it and felt excited to explore it and see if it could you know, really make a difference in my relationships. And... and um, from there, I, I got interested in attachment theory and interpersonal neurobiology and shadow work. And I, I just wanted to learn everything I could about healing and, you know, all the things that help us show up in uh, the best way in life to, to work through the challenges that we need to face. And, you know, I would all of it has led me now actually to uh, see compassion from several different angles, even biologically and as well as emotionally and spiritually. And I, uh, I work quite a bit with plant medicine, which has probably taught me the most about compassion in an experiential way. So what, what would you say if you were to describe, because that was the question I was going to ask you, is what, what is compassion? And maybe just also just offer to all three of us, what is compassion? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I think one way to, to uh, define compassion is it's a capacity to be present with someone with a quality of care and, and and desire for their the end of their suffering and um yeah i would say that's kind of my <laughs> short version answer to that mm-hmm. but i'd love to hear yours you know when i was feeling into it it feels like <clears throat> For me, it's like a certain, uh, like it feels like a container, <laughs> like in myself, it feels like a container 
that can hold a lot. Like it can hold and allow a lot of life to move through in a way that is, um, is, is just like honoring of it, of whatever it is, you know? Um, mm. And it has like a soft quality to it and feels like the, the container itself is the presence and the softness is sort of the way that it's being held or the way that it's being seen or the, and it feels like it emanates from my heart, that container. Um, mm. Yeah. I like that. I really liked how you said, Eric, that it's a desire for the other's suffering to end. Because I have never really thought about it that way. I think a lot of my life I focused on feeling what the other person is feeling. And then judge up, balancing that with my, you know, getting rid of judgment, being present, and also a level of self-protection, right, mm -hmm. in that, and trying to give myself over to what's happening in the other. And I feel like that piece of you mentioning that there's a, a like a fervent desire that their suffering ends feels like a really neat missing puzzle piece for me when I think of mm. compassion from my perspective. So mm. I, I'm grateful mm. for that description. It's, it's so interesting just to, to mirror that. <clears throat> and it, it'd be interesting to know what our, because like for me, so much of my journey with compassion has been, I've been so in that desire to make the other person's, pain and that sometimes I would slide that it wasn't compassion mm -hmm. was more like I, I so had a desire to end the other person's suffering that it was like I wasn't there wasn't the sitting back to allow for the journey so it's like so much of my journey with compassion has been allow being able to allow allow what's happening for the other person I, that's an interesting space, that space. I'd be curious to explore that, that space of like, where is that sweet spot there? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say that my desire is to end the suffering of others. I think I said the desire is for their suffering to end. Mm -hmm. um, and, to, you know, there's an interesting paradox that often when we try to end people's suffering, it sometimes gets worse or it gets mm -hmm. entangled and yeah and often just by being present and um empathic and you know just to support them to move through their difficulty mm -hmm. you know that that's how their suffering can come to an end or at least a shift of some kind yeah it well, sounds like such a degree of selflessness like it's a depth of selflessness that I'm assuming is really difficult for most people because in our society, like we've grown up in such a way, most of us, where we didn't get our needs met in, in attachment or attention. And so we're still as adults trying to overcome our own narcissism and, and actually land in a sense of self to the place that we can 
truly bring a compassionate heart to others. And I, I just, I'm seeing that so much coming up in the world right now that um, we're all struggling with becoming more selfless. As you were speaking, I was just feeling this place of this, this place of compassion so requires the capacity to hold ourselves and other, you know, Mm -hmm. like when we think of compassion, it's actually a fairly, I mean, it's simple, but it developmentally, it's actually a fairly complex thing because it requires us to hold both in a way, like to hold my own seat and to hold what's true here and this capacity to hold what's true there, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and that, and that both are, both are happening, you know, like that both and both have equal. I know this is so often what I'm watching in my work with people is that's where it can be so tricky is this place in our consciousness where it's like, it's hard to hold that both can be equally held with compassion you know, that both can be equally held and both can be equally real and, you know, and, and that one doesn't make the other um, untrue, but how challenging that can be developmentally because, you know, um, our brains uh, um, and our coping strategies can be trying to solve the problem or, you know, figure out the solution. Whereas my, my felt sense of compassion is it's more, can we just allow that all of this is happening at once, you know, um, or at least this is where I'm, <laughs> this is where I'm learning in this dance of compassion. Yeah. 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 I would say, I guess what I would add is that the, the, you know, the deeper we go into our own healing work, the more space we'll be able to hold for others. Yeah, and often the limits of our compassion are are just the limits of the healing work we've done for ourselves and mm-hmm. other people. Usually, show us the, the the next level of healing we need to do if we want to keep our hearts open. And you know, and I think compassion can also be have some different nuance. That it's not always for me. There's always a quality of care. It's it's just trying to have a quality of non-judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe I should say there isn't always a quality of warmth, let's say. I'm just trying to stay in a difficult situation without judgment mm-hmm. and as a step, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if, if the dialogue can continue, if, if it doesn't get into fight-flight energy or, you know, attack-defend energy, then, then maybe we can find a connection that leads more to a warm compassion you know there are people doing things in the world that i have a very hard time feeling compassion for and but you know if i want to have a chance to make a change i need to find a way to 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 meet them and and have a respectful dialogue and have some curiosity and empathy for what they're doing and why. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this feels like a really key part of it. This what, why, like the understanding. I recently I was hanging out with some sisters and we were really processing about this 
place of like how to sit with some of the biggest pains in our world, you know, and I was sharing when I used to work um, at the Stollery Children's Hospital and I saw some pretty, pretty horrific things, you know, like parents who had done some pretty, just really, really horrific things. And my job was to support, support some of these people in this, in this place. And, you know, my one sister asked, well, how, how did you find that place to have compassion, you know? And it was a good question because I, I remember it was easy for me to feel it, but it was like, but what, why was that? And for me, it was, I realized that it was because I was actually getting to be close to them. And mm. so I was actually getting to understand. So as opposed to it being someone who had done something awful and they're over here, I was actually getting to know them as a person mm-hmm. and getting to feel and sense like, who they are and their story, you know, the journey they've been on. And with each person, once I was in that field with them, it was almost like this place in me was like, well, of course this has happened. Like there was almost a place that like understanding who they are and where they are in themselves. I I could find that place of, of course, this is where you've ended up. And then it was so much easier, almost like that, almost like seeing them in their vulnerability or seeing them in their humanness is what allowed that as opposed to if I didn't really get to know them as a person, I think it, I think it would have been harder. It would have been harder to find that place. And I'm just curious, I know you're talking about neuroscience, but when we even just think about like that like our relational system in our bodies, like actually like feeling someone and looking them in the eyes and these things that um, um, can evoke like a sense in our body of like human, human to humanness, you know? Yeah, yeah I, th- I think it's so helpful to have a trauma perspective in the world for sure. And I, I think that's what I'm hearing from you just to know that our childhood experiences really affect us and how we behave in the world. Mm-hmm. And that's a place where I go to when I'm struggling to connect with someone uh-huh. um, that people tend to act in pretty desperate and sometimes violent ways when they, when they have had traumatic childhoods and, mm-hmm. and um that's that's often a starting place for me. It's just to remember that, you know. It makes me think about the use of technology in our society. Like Courtney, you're talking about seeing someone in front of you, feeling them, understanding. And, you know, now we've got the internet and a lot of our communications, especially right now are happening online. There's that separation mm-hmm. in the humanness uh-huh. and it brings up some anxiety in me over, you know, how we're going to evolve if technology is the main medium through which we're communicating. Like, are we able to reach places of compassion? It just seems like it's so much easier for people in on social media to just make quick judgments and it's, it can get pretty ugly out there. And Mm -hmm. I just wanted to express my concern that I've been holding lately over people's capacities to hold 
compassionate spaces or to see multiple perspectives, it seems like that's getting diminished right now. And I'm just wondering if either of you feel like, how are we to overcome that as a challenge or just how you're feeling about technology in relation to compassion? Yeah, I mean, just to speak to the one piece of that, and then I'd be curious to hear, I just to add on to your, is I really noticed, for example, people like at the hospital who didn't get to know the person who had done these things and were more hearing it in the newspaper or relating with it in that way Mm -hmm. was often the people that were having the hardest time you know, and, 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 and compassion was also looking at those people and being like, right, because it's scary when you're hearing it in this way and it's de- it's dehumanized, mm-hmm. you know, it's mm-hmm. dehumanized. Yeah. Yeah. So I'd be curious to hear your sense of how technology impacts our experience. Of compassion. Yeah. I, I share the concern. I, I, I don't engage in discussions about important things online. Um, you know, we really need to have the right hemisphere engaged to have good discussions and the, the screens don't really, you know, support that so much. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the capacity for empathy and compassion is a right hemisphere function as far as I know. And, right. you know, it, when you're on a screen, you're, you're often very left hemisphere focused and you're just forgetting there's there's a human heart on the other end or mm-hmm. and you don't get to see the impact of you know all those other cues all the i'm also concerned about masks because you know it's hard to see is someone smiling do they am i feeling connected to them it's really hard to tell when there's a mask and mm-hmm. yeah so i i uh i i feel a lot of concern i think the answer is to is to uh, don't talk about important things online and, you know, focus on the people around you. And mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and, and what it makes me think too is so often, like when I think of what evokes compassion inside of me, it's when I'm, when someone's sharing vulnerably, you know, like in a real mm-hmm. way, like from their right hemisphere, you know, it's like easier for me to feel compassion if someone's speaking more from a place of like, this is what I'm feeling or, you know, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to someone who's telling me like a left-brained opinion, let's say, yeah. I just notice in my biology, it's just, oh, oh, there's compassion. I can feel that. And how, um, yeah. Um, where was, but just like that online so often there's more of that left-brained discussion as opposed to the vulnerability. I mean, that's not across the board. I, I, I really love, I have lots of people that I relate with on social media that share vulnerably. So it's more of a sharing of their own experience or their own story or what they're learning. And I always find that that evokes, like Mm -hmm. if that for me, um, and I notice it evokes compassion, but I do notice that when it goes into the more left brain, like the, the intellectualizing and getting really into this, it can be a lot harder. And um, I think to access that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then it's so interesting because we need so much safety to feel safe enough to be vulnerable. It's yeah. a really, it's, a, you know, it's such a incredible phenomenon on social media <laughs> because there's a certain, there's a certain quote unquote safety in not having to receive someone's reaction. So you can take right. more chances and 
you know, you're not going to get a huge emotional outburst. In, but you're also not going to get the depth of connection that we really thrive mm -hmm. on. You know, mm -hmm. you'll, you'll get some, you might get a million likes or whatever. You might get some nice responses, but that's not the depth of connection that we really thrive on. And and I understand there are some things that are important to discuss in a, in a broader sense in the world, but I, I'm just not part of those circles right now. So yeah, <laughs> ways to find meaningful connection that I think we can really thrive on. Yeah. I mean, what I feel like what you're talking about too is like attunement almost like how we attune to one another in a, in a physical sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yes. that's the safety that that creates. For sure. Like being able to see the smallest movements of the person that you're with, the expressions, mm -hmm. the body language, it's all giving you information about what's really going on for that person. And it's so important. Like I can feel myself feeling starved of that during, yeah. you know, these pandemic times. It's, it's um, showing me a lot about how our nature is to be social and to be compassionate and we yearn for that. Mm -hmm. And to have that taken away is deeply detrimental. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and how there's so much going on relationally that's so beyond our conscious awareness when we're in a room with people. <laughs> we're getting so much information um, about, about the world around us. It feels like that, um, yeah. I think I, the, up sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, no, continue, and then I'll ask my question. I, I think the, the, the opportunity with the pandemic is is for, um, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. Well, one way to look at it is people might be leaning more online for connection, but there's an opportunity to, to actually try to lean away and find a few close people that mm -hmm. can be in your, your bubble and that you can have a deeper connection with. Mm -hmm. Find a piece of nature that you can deepen your connection with. Find a piece of your spirituality you can deepen your connection with and kind of, take a break from the, from, you know, all of the, like focus in more on what really matters and, and prune some of the things that are just distractions. Yeah. It, I was, I'm glad you're speaking to that. Cause I've, I've run into quite a few people in my realm who speak of this having been, yeah, where they've been relieved to not be feeling pulled out of themselves so much and having mm -hmm. the space to slow down enough and be intentional enough that their that their nervous systems are feeling more regulated, and then when they are connecting, they're actually more present than let's say before when they were. I have to rush here. I have to go there. You know, like it's been a, It's also in some ways been a gift for that intentionality and the slowing down. It was interesting in my practice when COVID hit. Um, I ended up getting all these phone calls from parents saying that their children who had anxiety no longer needed to come in because they weren't having anxiety anymore because the family had slowed down. They yeah. were all spending more time together, you know, so that's an interesting like, and sinking into each other more sinking into yeah. each other. more. There's a really amazing documentary called all the time in the world mm. where a, a family up in the Yukon, they go into a cabin for nine months out in the wilderness, just yeah. the, 
just the uh, five of them. And it's, it's just so inspiring and remarkable what happens when they have all the time in the world together. Well, I'm getting chills. Yeah. That's bringing, that's actually bringing tears to my eyes. Yeah, yeah it kind of reminds me about what a lot of people are doing out here where we live in the Sokan Valley. People are leaving their busy lives and choosing to return to something that feels more holistic and connective. And, and what you're saying also brings me to the wondering of like, it, ways to practice compassion. Like I imagine that there's a lot of ways that you've spent over the years practicing compassion in a variety of contexts. And like when you talk about just simply connecting to nature, um, just the simplest things, if someone wanted to start developing the skill of compassion, little ways that they can do that even during a pandemic. Um, if you wanted to speak to anything that's arising with you in around that. Well, I, I, um, I am a fan of nonviolent communication or it's also known as compassionate communication, as I mentioned, particularly around the, the consciousness of needs. And, mm -hmm. you know, one of the hardest things people can experience is compassion for themselves. And the nonviolent communication model gives you a process for transforming judgments about yourself or others into needs. And, and, and trying to hold this view that really we're, we're just trying to meet our needs. And I would say we're doing what we can to meet our needs. Given everything we've been through, this comes back to the trauma that we all carry. We're, I think we're always doing our best or what we're able to do to meet our needs. And we always can improve on how we meet our needs too. But when we're judgmental, when we're critical and uh, to ourselves or others, it's really hard to want to improve. You know, it gets into a vicious loop of of trying to motivate out of you know out of judgment and and fear and blame, and instead of out of compassion, which is I understand that's how you're trying to meet your need, or that's how how's the best way I could meet my need, and let's see if we can get the support we need or do something different to, to, to make sure it happens in a better way next time. And that, that's a really, you know, there's, there's really good, um, it, uh, um, it's a really good step in terms of how you see yourself and others. And, and then from then any, any inner work you can do to keep uh, integrating the, the trauma that's stuck in your system and probably kind of keeps you stuck in some of the judgmental thinking and so on and some of the beliefs that you might have about yourself and others. In other words, our, the way we think and um, um, speak and so on is important, but it, you know the parts of the brain that hold our trauma are deeper than the parts that consciously think and mm -hmm. And process there 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 are deeper levels that actually you need to feel into and mm -hmm. you know open up 
two, and um, that's where the somatic therapy is so helpful, and mm -hmm. uh, the plant medicine work is so deep, and you know you need to get into the the deeper regions of the brain to really get to the core of compassion. I would say. Yeah, well, and it, it, as you're speaking, it makes me feel into this place where, you know, a part of us can be, and this is, I think, I loved how you spoke earlier about, like, the spiritual compassion and, the, like, these different layers of compassion, like, the because, you know, how often I, I think we all can, a part of us can see something from a compassionate place, you know, or a part of us is holding this bigger view, but then there's another part that's like, you know, three and is really angry. Oh, and then there's another, you know, there's yeah. all these different parts that are all having a different experience. And, and how often when we just want to go into the big, broad spiritual compassion, we can actually forget to be compassionate to those parts, you know, like they mm -hmm. can get lost in this kind of broad idea of compassion um, and I'd love to hear you share maybe a little bit about what your sense is about the, the spiritual compassion and where that fits in with the somatic piece, if you could be curious to hear. Yeah, and, and before I forget, I, I also want to say that, you know, compassion needs a backbone sometimes too, you know, in other words, it doesn't mean, compassion to me doesn't mean we're always nice and, mm -hmm. you know, we're always okay with everything that's happening. It, to me, there's, I think I sort of said this already, but, you know, things people are doing are not working for us. So hopefully I can hold that. That's the best they're able to do. But I also need to have, you know, the empowerment to say, hey, this needs to change. This is not okay, actually. I understand that's the best you're able to do, but it needs to change if, if we're going to stay engaged or if we're going to survive or whatever it is. Um, and, you know, you talk about the, the different layers, the spiritual and so on, and I think it's it can be a little bit of a bypass sometimes to go into a spiritual sense of compassion yeah. and unconditional love. And there's something very um, of difficult conversations and bringing, holding a compassion with a with a strong boundary and truth as well, um, not running away from hard things and to just go and sit on your pillow and and be a compassionate person on your own. Mm -hmm. I, I once heard an incredible interview with a guy who used to be a. a neo-nazi and promoted a lot of hate and so on and, the, and now he he works towards peace and and the, the interviewer said how what was the change how did you manage to what turned you around and he said there were two things one was he just started to see a level of violence that was too disturbing for him but the other was that the people he was trying to hate were meeting him with so much compassion or enough mm -hmm. compassion that he couldn't he couldn't maintain the hate in the face of their compassion mm -hmm. Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. And there's a really good interview, too, with a woman named Spring Washam, who's a meditation, a Buddhist meditation teacher, but she's also an ayahuasca ceremony leader. Mm -hmm. And she also talks about, you know, really getting off the cushion and bringing mm -hmm. the work of oneness into these hard places, mm -hmm. um, into the whatever, the front lines of whatever's going on. 
And uh, yeah. Yeah, you're reminding me of uh, a Buddhist monk, uh, Joan Halifax. Uh, She talks about exactly the same thing as what you're describing. She Mm -hmm. describes it as a strong back, soft front. Right. And I love that. I carry that with me on a regular basis to remind me, as you say, the backbone and then the soft heart. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, she's definitely on... at the leading edge of compassion, she flies to countries where there's, uh, you know, been disasters or wars and buries bodies and puts herself right in to the, wow. the, the most uh, deep carnage you could imagine. Mm-hmm. And, and it, what it shows me is that it's like a muscle that we can work, mm-hmm. that once we've done, you know, healing work, I mean, I guess that's just always ongoing, but she's not stopping with just her healing work. She's going, she's yeah. worked her muscle to the point that she can enter into mm-hmm. the most intense situations and show up compassionately. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's been her life work. And I really admire uh, her reading the books that she's written on uh, dying and uh she goes to some pretty gritty places. <laughs> yeah. Well, and this just so speaks to like compassion really being how much of the humanness, like how much of that human struggle can I sit, can I find the compassion in, you know, yeah. like, um, and I, I, I don't know about you, but some of the most beautiful moments of compassion that I've ever felt are in those, like are actually in those moments as opposed to like sitting on the cushion and feeling this beautiful energy of compassion. That's beautiful. But it's like in that rawness of the humanness when I'm like meeting somebody in this like really raw moment. And it's like, but it's like, whoa, like for, for my experiences, like that is like where I really meet compassion. It's mm-hmm. like... And I, I, I remember reading, like, Jesus and Buddha both talked about mercy. And I thought that was an interesting word. And I don't even know, but for me, how mercy landed is like, it's like, it's like compassion. It's like mercy for these places. It's like mercy and love for like these gritty, raw places and meeting, meeting those places. And um I mean, that's, that's my sense where things really alchemize and can transform and, mm-hmm. and where we, where we also like, I've, I've been this week, I've had a lot of learning about compassion. It almost feels like that's where we really land in our humanness because it's kind of a beautiful thing about us humans is like when we're really in our humanness is how in the depths of like all of this struggle, we still want to move towards each other. You know, like there's still this desire in in humanity to like find, like even just the fact that people are like studying compassion and like working with compassion mm-hmm. is sort of this beautiful quality of humans, really, to um, to want to move towards that. Um, yeah. 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 What we, what you were sharing there, Rochelle, reminded me of Marshall Rosenberg actually, who developed nonviolent communication, and that's also. What he did, he traveled the world to war-torn places and extreme conflict, and and mm-hmm. taught nonviolent communication and worked with people on opposing sides to really listen to each other and hear each other's needs. And yeah, I mean, to me, it yeah. feels like that's 
the essence of love to me is a human showing up in the darkest of situations with their heart open. I mean, there's really no better way mm-hmm. that I can describe what love means to me. Mm-hmm. So when I feel mm-hmm. into that, that feels like love. Mm-hmm. It feels to me like um, what is, um, you know, in my, in my spiritual view that, what's trying to happen right now is the birth of a, of an expanded consciousness that is more connected and less about our separateness. And, you know, that's where that birth can happen is when we step into a place of real separateness, consciousness, and, you know, open a crack for the expanded consciousness to come in through whatever practice that we have to bring that will allow it, whether it's NVC or, or meditation practice or, you know, whatever it is. But I think that's one of the exciting things about these times is there's a lot of powerful practices for healing and for, for bringing connection amidst conflict. And I, uh, I just, yeah. I had sort of equal amounts of excitement and despair at this time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just feel like I try to bring it home into my daily life. You know, I have a family and if I can just take a moment in the day when things are getting intense to just prioritize compassion and be aware that I prioritize in compassion. It's, it's just huge. Like I think the, just for an everyday householder, a lot of this healing work and a lot of the stuff can be so huge seeming. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, for me, since having a family, it's been more and more difficult for me to get to retreats or to get mm-hmm. to the medicine circle or to get to the, yeah. you know, and I mean, from some, from the perspective of living on somewhat of a hamster wheel in family life and doing everything in my power to not live on a hamster wheel, <laughs> which is not easy as a family. But if you, I'm just speaking to all the listeners, I mean, from my perspective, just taking the time in a day that when something comes up to prioritize the connection and the compassion and even just doing that once in the day to say, Hey, you know, mm. there's, there's something happening. Uh, can we just stop and remember each other in this moment and what's important to us above trying to get to that appointment on time or mm-hmm. trying to <laughs> achieve something in the whole scheme of madness. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for me, like that's, an accomplishment in a day Mm -hmm. um, just for the people that are working at different Mm -hmm. levels of, Mm -hmm. of coming to practice the compassion and strengthen that muscle. Well, and and what, what I thinking of as you share that too, I just feel called to share that um, and to notice the ways that we are already compassionate just by our nature. You know, Mm -hmm. I think um, like one of my favorite things I ever learned was when they talked about primary emotions and how, it's actually like biologically wired in us that when somebody is in a primary emotion, our body naturally wants to 
be compassionate. Like it's wired, it's actually our healthy wiring. Like that's just actually just how we are. And of course, yes, there's layerings of trauma, but for the most part, what for most humans, when they feel someone in a primary emotion, it evokes something. It's there's something that happens in them. And, um, and just inviting everyone to just notice the, all these moments where it's actually just quite natural, this compassion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and I would offer for anyone to help bring in some compassion is, is anytime you can slow down and really try to listen to someone and, and tell them back what you're hearing. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have any nonviolent communication experience, like really validate their needs, really hear their needs and their feelings. That's, that's where, um, you can actually bring in a quality of compassion, maybe more name it more as connection, but it, you know, mm -hmm. a, a good quality of connection where there isn't judgment and blame getting thrown around. Mm -hmm. oh, ongoing practice. <laughs> I've saved myself from many arguments with the phrase, Hey, could I see if I understand you right now? Mm -hmm. <laughs> And I, 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 I pull that one out with some urgency when I notice myself revving up to, mm. you know, defend my position or right. attack theirs. And I go, wait a minute, let me just offer to try and understand. Yeah, if someone said that to me, I would feel immediately disarmed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it's when we most need it that it's usually hardest to pull it out, but it's like wiring it in. And and just to speak to this place of, and I think here is how much compassion does require a bit of a slowing down, you know, mm -hmm. like a this this slowing down enough that we can notice what like catch ourselves or not get caught, like to have some awareness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My heart is glowing. I really like this topic a lot. <laughs> it's like I feel the vibration of compassion moving through me and opening just like, um, yeah, to feel both of you and to everyone that's listening, just extending out that feeling of um, seeing one another in this journey.